0: This is Jason Voss, Content Director at CFA Institute. Welcome to another Take 15 episode where we talk to leading minds within the investment business. My guest today is Jason Trenner. He is Chief Strategist at Strategas, And in addition, he is consistently ranked by Institutional Investor as one of Wall Street's top strategists. I know that's a very difficult title to attain, so congratulations on that. And in addition, and I this is one of my favorite publications, and that's Smart Money. I think Smart Money asks some um, interesting questions, and um, they do deep dives into subjects that other personal finance magazines don't. And Jason has the distinction of being named to Smart Money's Power 30 list as one of the most influential people in the world investing. Jason, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It. Yeah, you bet. I, I wonder if, to, to start, we could just frame the discussion
1: within, like, what do you think is going to happen in equity markets over the next, say, 12 to 18 months? Well, listen. I, I'm of the view, broadly speaking, that uh, equities are benefiting from uh, what we call the TINA factor. Uh, there is no alternative. Right. I think probably the most important theme within finance right now is the idea of financial repression, which is the idea that the Fed is going to keep interest rates on sovereign debt probably negative in real terms for the foreseeable future. Right. And that's partly because we really have no choice uh, because the size of the debt and the way it's being uh, managed to so short term that any sort of backup in interest rates would be really death for, uh, for the budget deficit. I also think that there's still a significant chance of deflation. I believe the Fed believes that. So um, investors are not going to have too many other choices to get real returns, positive real returns, aside from equities. I think that uh, Fed's policies are designed to get people to take more risk. And I think slowly but surely people are going to take more and more risk as time goes on. Right. Now, I just heard you mention
0: Federal Reserve. I just heard you mention debt. I just heard you mention negative real yields. To me, that sounds like Europe, right? In a particular way. I wonder if you talk about your opinions about Europe, which some folks have taken their eye off of Europe and placed it elsewhere. Do you think that's smart-wise?
1: Well, listen, I think, uh, I guess the good news is that all central bankers uh, pretty much uh, adopted what I would call the Bernanke doctrine, which is to say that uh, if there's a risk between inflation and deflation, most of the world's central bankers have said I'm gonna take my chances with creating too much inflation. Uh, deflation is off the table, it's verboten. So, that's good in one way, uh, because it probably means that liquidity crises are, are gonna be less likely. It's bad in other ways, uh, I think, from a longer-term perspective, because it doesn't focus the mind of fiscal policymakers to get their act together. Right. But, uh, listen, for the time being, I think the ECB, uh, like the Fed, is all in. Unfortunately, I think the euro uh, from a longer-term perspective, uh, is going to have a very difficult time surviving. Now, that, that's an interesting point, Doug. Like, what are the factors you think would contribute to that? Well, I would say the biggest factor, really, is that uh, without a true eurobond issue, um, I think it's going to be very difficult for the rank and file of Europeans to agree to a currency union. Which is to say that I, I think a lot of people forget uh, that um, Europe is made up of not just 17 distinct uh, nationalities, but many different nationalities within those countries. I spent a lot of time in Italy. I know a lot about the country. Uh, It's very provincial, and people forget that Italy itself was only um, unified in 1861. Same with Germany. Same with Germany, same with Spain. You're seeing a lot of movements within these countries. So I think it's very difficult to ask, uh, let's say, a Finn or a German to bail out a Greek over time. The real risks of the euro, it seems to me, are not among the elites who are all in uh, in terms of preserving it. The real risk is with the people on the ground right. uh, in, at the polling place. And, and that might take many, many years to develop, but I think it's a real risk for the euro. Interesting. And,
0: uh, you know, without putting you on the spot too much, like uh, when would you expect to see some sort of
1: cracks in that architecture well listen i think uh globally there are probably three big sources of the misallocation of capital one is uh, china's fixing of its currency the second is the uh, u.s is fixing of its interest rates uh, and the third is the euro all of those things eventually in my view are going to result in inflation and it's a very serious inflation but as it says in a good book we, we don't know the time or the hour it's probably unlikely over the next two or three years uh, but I do know, as sure as we're sitting here, that if you continually run large budget deficits and have central banks print money, that eventually that's going to cause a problem. Right. And so, I don't know the timing, but i I, I think without structural changes, uh, big inflation is going to be what causes, a lot of these, um, a lot of these dislocations that I'm talking about. So talk to me about the great rotation. That's you know, like many things, uh, you know,
0: in investing, they come into vogue and people talk about them, right. talk about them, they discount them, they look at them
1: uh, from various angles, etc. What, what's your view of
0: the great rotation?
1: Well, listen, I think uh, if there is a great rotation, it's in its infancy. If you just look at the data, uh, really, because up and th- up through last year, 2012, there was very little evidence uh, that at least individual investors, were doing any rotating at all. They were continuing to throw money into fixed income funds and continuing to redeem equity market mutual funds. In the first month of this year, first five, six weeks of this year, seems to be uh, that that's changing, Uh, but there is a very strong seasonal bid for equities at this time of the year, so I think it, it might take time. I do think people, though, are starting to come to the conclusion that the risks of fixed income are real. And I think, at least at the margin, uh, people are starting to, at the very least, decrease their cash holdings and increase their equity holdings. Right. To me, though, um, the broader picture, really, or the bigger question is when fiduciaries, like pensions and endowments, when they start to decrease their holdings of alternative investments and start to put more money to work in equities, which have been a source of funds for a lot of the, what we call the Yale model for very, very many years. Right. So you mentioned financial repression
0: earlier. It seems to me that corporations themselves are experiencing some form of financial repression, and ergo, their
1: shareholders are as well. What are they going to do with all of this cash? Boy, it's a it's a great question. I think um, I do think dividends are going to be a, you know a natural place where some companies are going to start to try to increase shareholder value through increasing dividends. I think though, you know, history has shown that it's more fun for the CEO to buy other companies. So I think M&A, a lot of people are talking about M&A, but I think there are, there are some signs, whether it's Dell, whether it's Apple, uh, that the natives are restless, uh, that they want, the investors want companies to use the cash more effectively, especially when it's earning zero. And I think there's a part of the reason why the valuations are so low, is that you're not getting much credit. Most companies aren't getting much credit for all the cash that they have on their balance sheets. That's earning nothing. And is not being returned to shareholders, so wouldn't surprise me if an M and A boomlet, at least in 2013, came about as a right. result of all this cash. Yeah, it's a fine line between sort of uh, I've got the cash for safety and please pay me some money, right? Right, exactly, right. And so, that, listen, I think uh, the further you get away from 2007 or 2008 financial crisis, when when a lot of companies saw the face of God, you know, the, the more and more it gets tempting to try to use the cash to manufacture. Earnings and manufacturer growth, and the absence of big organic growth in the overall economy. So, I know
0: frequently, you know, as a strategist, a lot of your focus is 12 to 18 months out. In fact, I framed it earlier like that. Yet, I also know that there's some issues that you're less certain of, maybe uncertain of, you know, necessarily putting in a published report. But what are you watching? You don't have to necessarily get real specific. What are those things at the periphery? of what you pay attention to that haven't quite yet developed anything certain, but you're still watching? Well, listen,
1: I think the two big wild cards, could, which could be enormously positive, uh, especially for the United States, would be, one would be st- some sort of structural reform of our entitlement systems, which I, I I'm... I guess I'm praying that that actually comes about as a result of all of this political tension that we've seen over the last year and a half. That would really uh, decrease the tail risk very meaningfully and, and provide the basis for multiple expansion. The other one is a comprehensive energy policy. The U.S. has enormous benefits, uh, enormous advantages, really, when it comes to dealing with its long-term debt solutions, because, in my view, it has an ability to grow its way out. About half of the U.S.'s uh, trade deficit is energy alone. So to the extent to which the U.S. could become more energy uh, independent, it would be a boon to GDP, it would boost our manufacturing capabilities, also be a big plus for a lot of uh, formerly employed manufacturing um, folks. So I think there's a lot of things going on there. And those are the things at the periphery. I spent a lot of time worrying about all these things that are negative, And I'm, I'm trying now, like a lot of our clients, to focus on, on things that could go right. And those are two things, I think, that could go right that would really pave the way for a big bull market.
0: Jason, thank you very much for being here today. I appreciate it. And if you would like more information on this or other topics, I encourage you to visit www.cfainstitute.org. Thank you very much for being here.